had a dear father in the gospel. He was in the military at one point in his life, and he told us the story of how one of the tactics in war for an enemy to discourage the troops is to set up a sniper. So one person can set up on a mountaintop or in a tree and with precision just begin to shoot various ones at random. They said in their, their, their intention is not to take out everybody. It's just simply that by taking out one at a time to send discouragement throughout all of the troops. Everybody gets discouraged because you move into fear. Will I be next? Will I be next? What happened in Las Vegas was not only a sniper attack in the physical, but it was a spiritual sniper attack on this nation. In particularly the body of Christ to try to get us into fear and discouragement. See, because a whole lot of things are all happening at the same time. While judgment is coming up on this nation and we're watching these types of things happen, the enemy's trying to always turn it into a whole different message and get us into fear. And we're running around scared. If this is happening to these people, then, oh, my God, what kind of chance does my family stand? I could be in the wrong place at the wrong time. Oh, my God. No. I trust in the name of the Lord our God is greater I don't know why the Lord is directing us this way but would you right now in your heart just turn literally turn over everything that's happening in your family every situation every circumstance and would you literally lift your hands to the Lord say Lord I give it to you I give myself to you my children that's right. Some of you are worried about what's going to happen with your grandchildren and what's going on in their schools. Would you just turn over the school district to the Lord? Every teacher, every administrator, Lord, even the janitors, the security guards. Because your name is greater. Yes, Lord. Your name is greater. Yes, Lord. I will not live in fear. We refuse to live in fear. You are greater. Yes, Lord. Lord, we trust your word. In the midst of the sneak attacks, we trust your presence. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. And we mean that. Sometimes we say that all the time and we forget the meaning, the reality of that. Would you say that in Jesus' name? Yes, Lord. Amen. Amen. Come on, give the Lord a praise in this place. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. The Lord put something on my wife, on me and my wife's heart to share with you today. For some reason, he has been connecting us with very, very special people. 
behind the scenes, we don't talk about it, and we're not going to even mention any names to you today, but God has set it up that um, we've been able to meet uh, one state senator. We were meeting in his office uh, almost every week and for, for prayer, and then the Lord set up an opportunity for us to meet um, uh, one of our representatives. Um, and we, in fact, it was more, and first we met with the representative and then we attended a prayer breakfast and then his wife got connected, uh, was listening to what we were talking about. We started talking at the table about, uh, which we've shared and talked about here, about the rebuilding of the gates and the walls taken from Nehemiah when they uh, took on the huge task of rebuilding the, the walls and the gates after Jerusalem had been destroyed by Babylon. And then when the Persians came in and took over, the Persian king allowed Nehemiah to go back and rebuild the gates and the walls. And we talked, we've talked. we been talking about it. we got to get back to it. We will. We will. We'll get back to it. Uh, the meanings of, the prophetic meanings of each and every one of those gates and how they relate very specifically to our hearts and to our families because I know that there are lots of people that have done all kinds of great studies and uh, uh, about those gates and given the prophetic meanings. But for me, it doesn't mean very much if I can't apply it in my life. I love the books that are written with great revelations about things, but if I can't apply it, it's just, it's sort of like, it's, it can sound to me like the Charlie Brown teacher. Remember that? Wah, 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 wah. It's great revelation, but I can't apply it. What are you talking about? And so we've been taking that journey around those walls and looking at the prophetic meaning of each one of those gates. And uh, some of you remember that we talked about in the, the just real briefly, the fish gate. Start, I mean, starting with the sheep gate, which uh, means uh, talks about being Jesus, being the Lamb of God who was uh, slain for our sin. The sheep gate was where they brought in the sheep. To, uh, to take them in where, where they would be slaughtered in the temple. And so that gate in particular represents Christ himself. And that gate being established in our hearts and in our homes is that Jesus Christ is our one and only Savior. Not the government, not our education, not even our religious system. Jesus. So that's the first gate that has to be restored. Then the next one was the fish gate. Jesus said, follow me and I'll make you become fishers of men. And so the first priority for us after getting saved is to be a fisher of men. Come on, bless the Lord right now. <laughs> and so when we make other things the priority, which has happened in a lot of hearts and homes, even within the church, then when that's not the priority, we get off on all kinds of other stuff. We get into self-help and self-esteem and self-building and self-everything. <laughs> And I remember even though we're involved in life coaching and uh, helping people in that way in the homeless shelter and all of that, but one of the things that we sometimes share with, with believers is that I'm not, we're not interested in helping people to get uh, uh, political freedom, you know, racial freedom, uh, economic freedom, and all of that, and then die and go to hell. So we must, come on, we got to have the fish gate, Amen. the fish gate 
follow me and become fishers of men. Then we talked about uh, the repairs that were made to the old gate. The old gate symbolizes or represents prophetically the timeless wisdom of God in a time and an age when we're living where only the, everybody's going after the new thing, the new and the latest and the greatest. And technology is driving everything. And, uh, and we're celebrating youth and youthfulness. Uh, and the problem with that is wonderful to celebrate young people and youthfulness, but the problem with that is they don't have very much wisdom. They got a lot of gifts and talents and a lot of even great ideas, innovative ideas, but without with a lot of knowledge. We're living in an, in an, in an era of knowledge. Anybody, any, I mean, it's just the knowledge you can get at the push of a button, but knowledge without wisdom, oh my Lord, you get you get kind of this response. People get puffed up because they think they know more than they really do. Just because they can access information doesn't mean you really know it. And so there are a lot of people walking around very arrogant because they have access to knowledge. But I'll put it to you this way. Um, just because you can go on and Google how to do heart surgery doesn't mean I'm going to allow you <laughs> Do I need to finish that sentence? <laughs> so it has given the illusion, the increase in knowledge has given the illusion that we have mastered more than we really know. But we haven't mastered it, you just have access to it. So we need the res restoration of the old gate, the timeless wisdom of God. Why do we refer to it as timeless? Because the same wisdom, the same wisdom from five thousand years ago still applies today and in a day and a time where you know young people tend to say well mom and dad that was back in y'all day back in the 50s back in the 60s back in the 70s you know when y'all believed in marriage and family and all that kind of stuff uh but i here's another one i love giving you wisdom the law of gravity which is the timeless wisdom of god the law of gravity says that whatever goes up is coming back down now, it's got nothing to do with the 1960s, 70s, 80s, 90s, 2017. If you jump off a cliff, well, that was back in y'all day, mom and dad. It used to be back in y'all day that if you got into these kinds of relationships and you did all this kind of stuff, no, you're jumping off a cliff. And just like back in my day, when you did that kind of thing and you crashed, it's still the same. It's got nothing to do with back in the day. There are some things that are timeless. It goes beyond time. It is the word of God. It's the will of God. Bless the Lord. Then we talked about the valley gate, which is really kind of a tough one because the valley gate uh, uh, prophetically represents uh, really receiving the internal intestinal fortitude of God to go through the valley to actually go through trials and tribulations. It actually um, speaks of having the excellence of the power of God working in our lives. Many people strive for the power of excellence, but not necessarily the excellence of the power. The difference is this, the power of excellence is the influence and even the affluence and compliments and even the drawing power that comes when things are done in an excellent way. It looks good on the outside, it looks great on the surface, and people are drawn to it. That's the power of excellence. But the Word of God, Paul talks about the excellence of the power, and here's how he described it. He said, we're, we're, uh, we're crushed but not destroyed. He said, we get, we get into situations where we're perplexed, 
but not in despair. And I looked up perplexed, and it actually meant embarrassed. God will allow us to be in embarrassing situations. When money is funny, when things ain't going right at all, anybody ever been through it? You don't have to raise your hand. Embarrassing stuff. Getting your car repossessed, going through a foreclosure, going through bankruptcy. God will allow situations where we are perplexed, what he said, but not in despair. When I don't have an answer, but I'm not in despair. In other words, I'm not at an utter loss. He is still my source. He is still my God. Even when I can't explain what I'm going through, he said, that's what the excellence of the power looks like. It doesn't look like everything is going okay on the surface, but, but down in here, I've got the valley gate. I have the, I have the material that's necessary that keeps me going on and holding on no matter what. You know why so many hearts and homes, families are destroyed? Because they do not have a valley gate. They cave in under the pressure of life because they don't have the valley gate. My Lord God. The next one, we talked about the refuse gate. It took us three Sundays to get through the refuse gate, so I definitely can't <laughs> go through all of that. But Paul talked about how he considered all this, all his accomplishments and accolades and everything, he considered it as dung. I used, the, I used the, you know, kind of a nice word by calling it the refuse gate, but it was actually called the dung gate because that's where they took out all of the... <laughs> And so <laughs> Paul mentioned some very specific things, and the Word of God shows us there are some things that are refuse that we already know it is. We don't even need a word. But then there are other things that you discover along the way in your walk with God that they are refuse, and you have to be willing to let it go. They are toxic. It could be toxic people. It could be toxic entertainment. It can just, it was, everything is cool and fine in your life, but as you start to mature, in the things of God, you start discovering what he calls toxic, what he calls refuse, and it requires of us to let it go. And then, as Paul mentioned, all those accolades, you know, it's really something because the things that are dividing America right now, Paul called it all refuse. He talked about his ethnic background that he had to be proud of. He talked about his religious background that he could have been very proud of. And then he talked about his national background that he had very much to be proud of. And all three of those things, he called them refuse, rubbish, dung. The three things that are, that are ripping this, this, this nation apart right now, the Apostle Paul called all three of them dung. That's why kingdom mindset is completely different. And when you talk like this, you kind of make enemies on all sides. You mean to tell me, Pastor Chris, that me being an American is considered refuse? Yes. <laughs> Compared to Christ. You mean to tell me my religious background and what I believe? I was born a Baptist. I was born a Catholic. I was born refuse. Somebody say refuse. And then the tough one, my ethnicity. See, I grew up in the 60s and 70s. Black and I'm proud. Say it loud. I'm black and I'm proud. 
Paul said, I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. But I consider it dung compared to Christ. Come on, everybody, right now, say, Lord, we get it. We get it. We're, we're building the refuse gate, and we're taking the stuff out. <laughs> Somebody say, take out the trash. <laughs> I won't go through the rest of them because we, are, we still got to talk about it, but I'll just mention the fountain gate. I just wanted to give you a little bit of the things that, uh, what those gates were about. The fountain gate, we're going to still talk about here, the water gate, the horse gate, the east gate, uh, and the inspection gate. I'll tell you this much without trying not to tell everything, because I don't want to get ahead before we can get go through all of this uh, uh, collectively. But the fountain gate is really talking about the Holy Spirit. We need to be filled with the Holy Spirit, those living water springing up out of us. The water gate is the word of God. When they completed that task of rebuilding all of those gates and walls, they stood in front of the water gate and read the commands and the word of God to all of the congregation. Uh, the horse gate symbolizing spiritual warfare because horses were always used in war. The east gate, uh, which actually pointed, was facing the, the, the rising sun. Every morning, uh, the sun, they had it so positioned that the sun's uh, rays would come right through that gate, which always, and many people, uh, many believers, they, they really get the east gate because we're always looking for Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. Yes, yes, he is. But, I, but again, applying it in my everyday situation, I need to know that tomorrow is coming. I need to know that Jesus not only coming, quote, in the rapture, but how many of you know I need Jesus to come in my situation right now? <laughs> and I need an east gate. I need the east gate established in my life that no matter how hard it is now, joy it's coming in the morning. Somebody say, yes, Lord, right now. You see why so many lives are falling apart? Because if they don't have the east gate built, then whatever they're going through, they don't have any hope. Even the world wrote a song. People, how many of you remember that musical, Annie? And the theme song, the sun will come out tomorrow. Bet your bottom dollar that tomorrow there'll be sun. Well, I'll give you a more spiritual way of saying it. God will make a way where there seems to be no way. He works in ways we cannot see. He will make a way for me. He will be my guide. Hold me closely to his side. With love and strength for each new day, he will make a way. He will make a way. That's the East Gate and expectations. Come on, bless the Lord right now. And the last gate that has to be established is the inspection gate. This is, the, the Bible says that it is appointed unto man once to die, and after that, the judgment, the inspection day. The inspection gate is necessary so that we have the understanding that one day we will all have to give an account and so since we live in a world, and, and especially here in America, where we don't think about consequences, we just live in the moment. And I don't care about what this means in the future. But kingdom mindset says, I've got to live with the understanding that one day I will stand before God. You know, because that's what keeps you in line. One day, every decision that I'm making, 
I'm going to have to answer to God. Not to put us under this religious bondage and pressure, but to put the discipline that's necessary to keep me focused and on track. How many of you can say, I don't have time to waste? Don't have time to waste because I've got, there's an inspection that's going to be made. Bless the Lord our God. I'm going to have my wife to just to read this. Um, uh, there's some of you remember that we've written several books, but most of those books were written based about weekly emails that we were sending to our little congregation. We didn't have a midweek service, so the way that we stayed in contact was just through email every week. And every single week, I mean, it's all, what, eight, nine years, we'd send these emails to everybody. And it was Deveda. Some of you guys have seen Deveda's name in our book. She's the one who wrote the email that said, uh, uh, why don't you guys take all of these emails and make them into books and devotionals? You've seen that in the preview, in the forward, in the front of our book. Well, she's the one. She's the one responsible for all these books. <laughs> and so we followed her suggestion and took those, all those emails and began to compile them into books. And one of those books uh, is called Fight for Your Family, a particular year where that was the emphasis for the entire year. And so I'm going to have my wife to read one of those emails from that year. And I wanted to speak to you right in this moment. Go right ahead. It's time for another word of encouragement as we continue to stand in the gap for our families. We want to speak what we said last week. God has placed us in one of the fiercest battles in our nation today. It's a battle for the hearts and homes of America. Last week, we started talking about our internal battles as we fight for our families. As you know, we've been following the story of Nehemiah and the rebuilding of Jerusalem's walls. After the reconstruction began, several enemies conspired together to attack them. The report that was brought to Nehemiah was this. Then the people of Judah said, the strength of the laborers is failing, and there is so much rubbish that we are not able to build the wall. And our adversary said, they would neither know nor see anything till we come into their midst and kill them and cause the work to cease. So it was, when the Jews who dwelt near them came, that they told us ten times, from whatever place you turn, they will be upon us. Last week, we presented the word of the Lord as we dealt with our failing strength, along with the rubbish and worthless material that we have to work with in order to build, rebuild the walls. Now we move on to the next issue. The next problem was that their adversaries were planning a sneak attack. Their enemies had declared that the Israelites wouldn't know or see anything until they had already come into their midst and killed them. That's how they planned to cause the work to stop. Today, we are faced with the same challenge. How can we possibly keep building or even start trying to build when we don't know when, where, or how the next attack is going to happen? How many of you have felt that every time you try to build something with your family, you end up in a fight with your spouse, parent, children, siblings, or some other relative? Something always seems to go wrong. There's always some sneak attack, and it's never just mild, uh, mild disagreement. It's always some family busting, marriage dividing, business drowning, church crushing, organization destroying controversy and confrontation. 
There are some strongholds that are unique to certain regions and seasons. In this region of the world and in this season or era in America, one little word, one mini misunderstanding, and one tiny gesture spells the total collapse of a relationship. This was a big part of the challenge for us in finding and building the people who will do the work of the ministry. We encountered this stronghold soon after we arrived in Harrisburg. After months of preparation, months of ministry and outreach, months of pouring out and sacrificing, we learned that all of it can be dropped and abandoned through this sneak attack. The attack is often rooted in people being easily offended, easily feeling accused, and easily feeling condemned. How could we possibly pastor a faith family when it seems so easy for the enemy to come in and attack us, scatter us, kill us, and stop the work? One very practical strategy the Lord gave us was to release a certain prayer every Sunday before teaching. Most of you have quoted this prayer with us many times when you attended our gatherings or watched the messages online. It goes like this. I want you guys just to repeat after me. Say, Lord, I pray. That the word today would find good soil in my heart. I reject the thoughts of offense where the light of your word exposes my mistakes. I do not take offense. I will change and turn to you, my heavenly father. I reject condemnation. Your word says that Jesus did not come to condemn people. This word does not come to condemn me, but it comes to heal me. I reject accusation. Satan is the accuser of brothers and sisters. And this word does not come to accuse me or abuse me. This word comes to expose Satan and his lies. And I choose to believe and receive the truth. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We still feel that this prayer is necessary in order to stop these demonically influenced sneak attacks from being successful in hindering people from rebuilding their households. We must admit that these demonic sneak attacks were successful in the past because every time we'd get a bit of momentum going in our weekly gatherings, something would always happen. People would leave, attendance would drop to three or four people, and we'd have to start all over again. We discovered firsthand why so many ministries have come to this region and then left after two or three years. However, we asked the Lord for a strategy to overcome these attacks, and the Lord gave us this prayer to release over the congregation and on the online audience just before the teaching begins. We have experienced a steady change in our ministry that has now lasted three solid years. Even our finances have reflected a steady increase for three consecutive years. Another powerful counter strategy to the sneak attacks is for you to release and believe this word over yourself and your family every day. 
Even though we realize there are threats of spiritual attacks all around us all the time, God says, God's word says in Psalm 91, 1 through 5, He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress. My God, in him I will trust. Surely he shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the perilous pestilence. He shall cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you shall take refuge. His truth shall be your shield and buckler. You shall not be afraid of the terror by night, nor of the arrow that flies by day, nor of the pestilence that walks in darkness, nor of the destruction that lays waste at noonday. So hold your ground. Do not be afraid of the what if, the maybe, the perhaps and the might be of life. Just trust God and dwell in his secret place of prayer, praise and worship. You will not only be ready for the sneak attack, but you will be able to defeat it. Come on, bless the Lord right now. Thank you, Lord. I want to remind you in these final moments of who our real enemies are, because you know, as we already know from Ephesians, the sixth chapter, uh, the word of the Lord made it very clear that we're not wrestling against flesh and blood. How many of you know that? We're not wrestling against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, rulers of darkness and spiritual and high places, I'll find you. We, we talk with you about particular enemies that are working against us. One of them was named was Sanballat. We talked about Tobiah. We talked about the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the Ashdodites. These are the ones who, when they heard uh, about what uh, Nehemiah was doing, they're the ones who conspired together. Now, these enemies, they don't normally even join together. You'll find this in Nehemiah, the fourth chapter, and going starting at the seventh verse. It says, now it happened when Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the Ashdodites heard that the walls of Jerusalem were being restored and the gaps were beginning to be closed, that they became very angry. And all of them conspired together to come and attack Jerusalem and create confusion. And so each one of them, these are human beings, but the spiritual influence behind these folks was totally and completely demonic. And you find that because uh, when you look at who they were and the people that they represented, the Lord kind of said, now go back and look and see, uh, look at these people groups, who they represented, and look at their worship practice. And so when we looked at Sanballat, uh, Sanballat was, uh, his people were those who worship uh, a particular God, um, and they did it by, uh, they would have these orgies, homosexual, bisexual, uh, heterosexual, yeah, that's, that was their way of worship, and they would uh, sacrifice babies. They would literally burn babies to death, live. So that's a spiritual influence. These are demon, a demon god that they took the time to worship in that way. So since you now, now look at Sanballat, whose people worship this god, and the way this god is worshiped is through promiscuity, fornication, homosexuality, and aborting babies. 
So when we look at what's going on in America today, I want you to understand this is not a political issue. These are old, ancient spirits. Now, it's not like Nehemiah and all these people, uh, and all of God's people, were attacking Sanballat and his folks. It says, when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Ashdodites, the Amorites, when they heard that God's people were rebuilding. In other words, all I'm trying to do is take care of my family. I'm trying to rebuild the gates and walls in my life and my family. And because I'm doing this, the enemy, the enemy, who is all out for promoting a particular agenda, says, I'm coming against you. And what's really interesting is, especially here in America, they twist it and they're making it look like we're coming against them. I said, I'm not coming against you. I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to raise up my sons and my grandchildren. But they flip it and make it appear as if though we're the ones on the attack. Why am I bringing this up? Because this becomes part of the sneak attack effort the sneak attack strategy of the enemy. He flips it and make it look like it's us who are on the attack. When all we were doing was just rebuilding our own lives, our own families. Tobiah uh, was an Ammonite and his people had pretty much the same God and the same practice. But the thing about the Ammonites is that they were historically some, a major thorn in the side of God's people. When they were, when, when, when the children of Israel were coming out of Egypt in the Exodus, uh, they encountered the Ammonites, and the Ammonites were always a problem. Even by the time of David, they, they were still having issues with the Ammonites. It was while the people of God, while Israel was at war uh, with the Ammonites, with King David, that's when David messed up with Bathsheba. Ammonites have always been a problem. Ammonites were also extreme bullies. You wonder why bullying is such an issue in America today? Spiritual. Spiritual. These people influenced by the God that they were serving. Here's a given example. Even if an enemy wanted to surrender to them, they would make unreasonable demands in the surrender. You know, it's like, oh, we surrender. What are your terms for, for surrender? So one time they said, they said, well, the terms of surrender is this. All of the men have to put out one eye. You have to put out one eye out of, uh, for every man. That's a term for surrender. Bullies. Spiritual influence. And I thought that bullying was just an issue with our kids. You know, elementary school, high school. I mean, you got some serious bullies on your job. Got some serious bullies in the church. Bullying is a spiritual influence. It makes unreasonable demands. It goes out of its way to make life difficult for those that are around them. And all this time, you thought it was just a human being. Remember, you're not wrestling against flesh and blood. Again, why are we bringing this up? Because they love doing the sneak attack tactic. Bullying is those neighbors that they know that they loud 
interview that live in a townhouse and apartment and they just make sure they just make sure that you're gonna you're gonna hear their TV and they're running and they're stomping and everything bullying man like I got go go we had a have we lived next door to a guy and I uh, two three o'clock in the morning he decided it was time to play his music boom 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 like I got to go to work in the morning bullying that's a bully. I'm going to do it. We call the police. Of course, they turn down while the police are there. But as soon as the police drive off, what? Turn it right back up. Why is that, why is that a sneak attack? Because in the midst of us, we're, we're just trying to serve God. We're just, we're just, I'm just, you know, just trying to serve God. Come on, y'all. Y'all know what I'm talking about. I got to get up in the morning. I got to go to work. I'm just trying to be faithful. And boom, 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 boom. And it's very easy when you get, when it gets like that to start getting angry, not only at the human being, but you get mad at God. God, why are you allowing me to go through this? But that's the purpose of the sneak attack, to get us to turn on God. Bless the Lord our God. Oh, my Lord, I wish I had time to go through them all, but I do want to at least point out the Arabs. Uh, I'll go into the Arabs. Now, we're not speaking against Arabic people uh, and not against people that are uh, Muslims, part of is Islam. But for the sake of what I'm sharing with you, you do need to understand that at this time, and it still even exists today, there are many who are fighting against the very existence of God's people. That has always been the battle. As we all know, Abraham uh, had a son by the name of Isaac. He also had one by the name of Ishmael. Ishmael was born through a servant, and Isaac was born through his wife. And so those two brothers have been at war and fight ever since to this very day. And the issue is birthright. And the descendants of Ishmael feel that since we were born first, regardless of the whether it was a servant or not, the issue is we were born first. And so therefore, we should have the birthright. And Isaac and his descendants, not only do they not have the birthright, they don't even need to be here at all. What am I getting at? Spiritually now speaking, much of what we are facing today is that same type of spirit against the body of Christ, where the enemy says, I'm fighting against your very existence. How many of you know that the enemy ain't playing? He ain't just playing with us. The end of Jesus said the thief is out to steal, kill, and destroy. I don't think we take that seriously sometimes. We kind of think, well, the enemy, you know, he just wants us to have a few accidents and stumble and kind of delay us sometimes and detour us a few times. No, he's out to steal, kill, and destroy. And so that's a spiritual influence, and he loves using the sneak attack tactic. You got to realize that the, uh, the word of God says, people, God's people said, uh, I mean, these folks said, from wherever place they turn, the enemy will be upon us. And they said it 10 times. From whatever place you turn, 
I'll put it to this. From whatever place you turn, the enemy will be upon us. I want you to get the effect. From whatever place you turn, the enemy will be upon us. From whatever place you turn, the enemy will be upon us. From whatever place you turn, the enemy will be upon us. You see the effect? From whatever place you turn, the enemy will be upon us. I want you to get the weight of what God's people were up against. From whatever place you turn, the enemy will be upon us. From whatever place you turn, the enemy will be upon us. From whatever place you turn, the enemy will be upon us. From whatever place you turn, the enemy will be upon us. Now you can see why God, God's people are like, oh. <laughs> From whatever place you turn, the enemy will be upon us. From whatever place you turn, the enemy will be upon us. From whatever place you turn, the enemy will be upon us. I just said it 10 times. Because sometimes when you read it that they said it 10 times, we don't get it until you actually say it 10 times. And then we get it. God's people were really in a serious situation. What we read now and we uh, teach about in prophetic language and symbolic language, this was not symbolic for them. This was real. Like real people with real swords, real spears, who were plotting to take them out, who were influenced by demons. And I think that one of the things that's happening to us here in America is that we're starting to come to the realization, I'm not trying to push fear, but I want you to understand why the Holy Spirit so emphasized today that God is greater. And he's going to keep putting the emphasis on the fact that he is greater because this isn't going to be symbolic anymore. We, we aren't going to just look at Nehemiah and, and go, well, here's prophetically what that means, and here's symbolically what that means. No. Ask the folks in Vegas. Ask the church in Vegas. This is real now. From whatever place, see, 20,000 people, bullets flying, from whatever place you turn, Now it's real. And God is getting his church prepared. I'm so glad you shared that today. Put on our linens. Get your house in order. 
I used to hear the stories and I'd read, uh, I grew up listening to missionaries and people who ministered overseas and lived overseas and hearing their stories about how they had lost a loved one, wife been killed by the tribe that they were trying to reach, husband been killed by the tribe that they were trying to reach. When we read the Apostle Paul's letters, do we understand that he wrote them, many of them, from prison? <laughs> when Peter was writing to the church, he was writing to people who were being hunted down. Paul himself was once one of those who was actively busting down people's doors and dragging them off to prison. So why am I sharing this with you today? Because God is getting us ready. He's getting us ready so that we're not going to just fade off into the sunset somewhere as judgment sweeps this nation, I didn't, imp I didn't have no intentions of sharing this and saying this today, but he wants us in a very different posture. Not just when we gather in this room, but every single day. I find myself just about every morning, my habit is to go downstairs and sit on the sofa, and I have my devotional and my daily reading. And the last couple of days, all I've been able to do is just lay over and just cry. And I'm like, I don't even know what I'm weeping for. How many of you know what I'm talking about? I don't even know what I'm weeping for. And I'm not trying to make up nothing. <laughs> I'm not trying to make up no prophecies, you know, because we get taught to do all this kind of stuff, you know, you know, tell God what you want and all that. I'm just telling you guys, no, that day is over. I'm not one of those preachers who can stand up here and tell you that I know all the mind of God and all the plans of God. All I know is when I get up in the morning, all I do, all I can do now is just cry in his presence. And even when I pray in tongues, he's, he's not even revealing everything. To, you know, there are a few images and pictures that come into my heart, but he just it just cry in his presence. You guys brought some revelation for us as you were talking last night. Some, we're, sometimes we're just weeping. I'm so glad you shared that. We're just weeping because that's God's heart. He's weeping. So we're feeling his heart. And some now we're reaching this level where it's beyond communication, beyond words. Anybody know what I'm talking about? God's got us in a realm now where it's beyond words. He's just letting us feel his heart. And because we have been taught so much junk, Pastor Paul, we keep feeling like we got to put a word on it and we got to describe it and we got to market it and distribute it and share it with everybody else. And I got to get up and tell everybody, when I was in my prayer time with the Lord, this is the revelation that he brought to me. That day is over. When I was in my prayer time with the Lord, he just had me crying, and I, I don't even know what to tell you. How's that for being real? I don't know what to tell you. All I know is I feel God's heart. I can't tell you what's coming up on this nation, but I feel him weeping. 
God takes no pleasure in what happened in Las Vegas. He took no pleasure in Puerto Rico being wiped out by hurricane. God know that there are people who are even declaring that this is God, this is the will of God. No, no, no. God is weeping because he's been warning our world. He's been warning our world and people haven't been listening. We haven't been paying attention. I shared with you the last time that we were here. You can see where America's heart is, how different we are responding to things. As the first set of hurricanes were coming forth, Americans were standing out on its shores rebuking. While other parts, other nations in the Caribbean got out on the sand on the beach and bowed and cried out to God for repentance. But Americans have done, we rebuke these things. We rebuke. How about repent? Why are we doing that? Because for 30, 40 years, we've been told, tell God what we want. Tell God what we want. A well-known ministry uh, here in America, uh, we were given some of their literature, and they had these 10 steps of how to get a breakthrough. And some of you have been exposed to this level of teaching, so you know what I'm talking about. And the first item on the list was tell God what you want. Now, for me, that's... <clears throat> Jesus said, I only say what I hear my father saying. I only do what I see my father doing. So step number one will never be tell God what you want. God told us the answer for breakthrough. If my people are called by my name not step one, tell me what to do. All the way down. Pray, and prayer isn't tell God what we want. It's ask him, God, what are you doing? What do you want? Anybody ever think to ask God, what do you want? Just think about it. You ever thought to ask, God, what do you want? And you know why this sometimes becomes tough to hear? Because of the situations and the circumstances that we're going through. I know that in my community, in the African-American community, we've had such poor teaching and having an infiltration of this kind of stuff that the majority of our folks are just living for survival and to get the next breakthrough and get my chance. When there's so much more. I know that my people need to return to God. We exchange God for money, the pursuit of money. Some politicians came in and said that our biggest problem is, is uh, we're not educated enough. And that is a problem. Our biggest problem is the oppression that we've suffered, and that is a problem. I'm not saying it's not, but that ain't our biggest problem because every people, every nation 
that turns his heart toward God, he hears their cry. He hears the cry. So right now, if, and if that has been part of your life and teaching, and that's been part of your journey, sometimes God will let us journey through places, and we'll hear that level of teaching so that we'll, we'll try it, and we'll discover like everybody else, it doesn't work. God's not Santa Claus. My bishop says, God's not a heavenly bellhop. God, would you get my bags and take my bags up to my room, and I'll tip you after you do what I ask you. Or the more sophisticated one, God's a vending machine. We've been taught that God's a vending machine. I'll show you what I mean. Name your blessing. Now get your seed in your hand. Now give your seed. Now lift your hands and praise God that your blessing is now coming. Because if praises go up, blessings come down. So we go to the vending machine. and say, I want this, I want that, I want that. And here's my seed, God. And you put your money in the vending machine. And you push the buttons. I want this, this, and that. And we release our money. Push the button. You know, wave my hand. Bless the Lord. Ain't nothing coming out. Put in more money. A little more seed. Because then the preacher told me the reason why it didn't work the first time is because I didn't mix faith when I gave my seed. So this time I'm going to mix in faith. And because he's God, that's why I love the songs that we sing here. Because every time we come in the song, even the song choices, y'all keep reminding us that he is God. He's not a vending machine. He's not Santa Claus. He's not our waiter or our waitress. He's God. When there are things happening in my life and it's not adding up and it doesn't make any sense, I don't tell God what to do. And I don't try to manipulate God with money. I bow on my face. Even when it comes to money, tithes and offerings, I'll never forget how the Lord just made it clear to me that even our motivation in tithes and offerings is wrong because, again, some preacher, teacher, somebody told us that if you want to be blessed, then give money when that's not the pattern of the Bible. That's not the pattern. And they'll start with Malachi, the third chapter, and say, will a man rob God? And if you don't want to be cursed, then you'll do this. When where the tithing began is God spoke to Jacob. He was asleep, and God gave him a dream. And he saw angels coming up and down out of heaven. 
And God spoke to Jacob and said, this land that you're lying on, I'm going to give it to you. Jacob woke up and he said, God, since you're going to bless me like this, then I vow that out of everything that you bless me, the land and the crops and the herds, I'm going to give 10% of it back to you. Years later, more than 400 years later, after, after Jacob died in Goshen and his, you know, because remember, God had used his son Joseph to get them uh, into the area of Egypt. And after all of them died out and a Pharaoh rose up who didn't know about Joseph and none of that, and God's people were put in slavery and they were there for 400 years. Then when God used Moses to bring them out and he established his laws and his principles by, for them to live because he was returning them to that land that Jake, that he had spoken to Jacob. That's why it was called the promised land. Did you ever know that? The reason it was called the promised land because that's the land God promised Jacob when he gave him that vision. So God kept his end of the promise. He gave them the land and then he held them to the vow that their forefather had made. Now, here was the reason why our thinking got off about what tithes is really about. Jacob wasn't saying, I'm going to give you this 10% to get you to bless me. He said, I'm giving the 10% because cause you have blessed me come on bless the lord right now see why we need the turnaround in our thinking so we tithe and give offerings because we are acknowledging what god has already done come on bless the lord Because if you stick to the other side, you'll keep forgetting. You'll keep forgetting that he didn't bless me because you'll keep putting in your money in the vending machine saying, how come I'm not being blessed? How come I'm not being blessed without understanding that even the only reason why you had something to give in the first place is because he done already done it. <laughs> come on, bless him right now. And what he promised through kingdom life, kingdom principle, if you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all these things, that these things was all the stuff that, that the Gentiles are struggling and fighting and striving to get. Where am I going to live? Where am I going to sleep? Where are my clothes going to wear? How am I going to take care of my family? He said, I will throw that in. So we're not giving to get. We're giving because he's already blessed me. I'm giving to honor him for what he has done. And then we have the added benefit that even what we do give, he will multiply it back. But I didn't, wasn't giving it just for the multiplying back. I was acknowledging what he's already done. Come on, bless the Lord right now. Thank you, Lord. Why are we addressing this? Because as part of the enemy's tactics in the sneak attacks, one of the greatest attacks that he does is to turn our understanding of who God is. 
to turn our understanding of who he really is. And so, Lord God, we receive your word today and we thank you for your faithfulness to speak to us and to remind us of who you are and how awesome you are. We bless you, Lord God. And so we repent in every place. If that hit you today, just say, Lord, I repent and I turn. I turn back to you and, and the proper understanding of who you are. Lord, I'm not, I repent from all the times that I was giving just to get, that I was used, trying to use you like a, like, like a vending machine. Lord, I didn't know any better. That's what they taught me. That's what they told me. But thank you, Lord God, for greater understanding and fresh revelation of what this really is about, that you have a purpose for me and for my family. You have a purpose and a call upon us as a people. And, Lord, you have given us the honor and the privilege of participating in your administration here in the earth. We didn't earn it. You earned it for us. We didn't call ourselves. You called us. And so, Lord, we thank you. We thank you, Lord God. We bless you. We praise you, Lord God. Thank you, Lord. We ask you, Lord God, to take over every part of my life. Uh, You can have it. You can have it. Take over every part of my life. It's yours. It's yours. I'm not holding anything back. Thank you, Lord. I don't know all of what you're facing, but I hear the Lord saying, particularly for those of you where you're facing battles in your finances, in your physical body, these are the kind of words that can seemingly, that can feel like this has nothing to do with my situation, but it absolutely does. If all you have to give is uplifted hands and a surrender, then give that. Because that's ultimately what he's after anyway. He's after our hearts. I used to lead the offertory worship at my home church every week, and I would tell the people of God sometimes that even if you don't have any money to give today, would you just lift your hands? and give him your heart because that's what he's after anyway the money is just an expression of what's in my heart so even if you if it's, it's never been about the money to god so give him your heart even as a believer do it in a fresh way god you get my heart all over again i want to fall in love with you all over again So, God, you get every part of my life. I'm not holding anything back. We hear you calling us, God, as a nation. We hear you calling us family by family. We hear you calling us person by person. We hear your call, and we heed your call. Bring everything that's broken, give it to him. Thank you, Lord. What I hear is this, it's particularly for those of you where you're believing God for physical healing. I hear the Lord saying, give me your broken body. Instead of just asking me to heal you, give me your broken body. Because hmm. that's different than asking him to do something. 
I give you everything, even my body. Lord, we don't want to just be a people who are giving, but we want to be a people who are given, given over to you, holding nothing back from you. Would you just tell the Lord, Lord, you, you take over. You take over, God. You've got it.
Cristo Paolo says to me, I just feel like weeping, and I say, I know, I do too. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, and she refused to be comforted because they were no more. God, forgive us. Forgive us as a nation. We repent of our foolishness and our foolish ways. Oh, Lord, fill our heart with joy and peace. But while we must mourn, let us mourn because of where we're at. And let us repent and come into your kingdom and into your glory and into your joy. We thank you for this brother and sister and the ones they brought with them and everyone that's here. God, you are our blessing, and we thank you for it. In Jesus' name.